Okay. So, <laughs> everybody wants to be a drummer. Even I want to be a drummer. <laughs> Come on. Um, <laughs> okay, so this is week four of a summer series on the grace of God with interruptions, me being away last week. I want to come back to Romans 5 and verse 17. So the topic this morning is reigning in life. Reigning in life. And I, I guess that some people, perhaps with an inferiority complex, wouldn't want to know about reigning in life, but I'm sure most people are very interested to find out about reigning in life. But this is not a self-help or self-improvement talk. We're not handling psychology or philosophy today. We're coming to the Word of God to hear His teaching. We're going to hear what Scripture says on this subject. And you know, even when we come to Scripture, some speakers get hold of one Scripture and they start running with it. And by the time they've gone a good distance, they're a long way from what the Bible actually says. Uh, they've extended it and applied it and whatever else. And you think, whoa, 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 you left the truth behind there. So we, we compare Scripture with Scripture to understand and unlock the Word of Truth and the wisdom of God for us. Let's pray together. Lord, your, your Word, the Scriptures, are an extension of your authority. They're inspired by God. They're authoritative. They're helpful to us. And so we, we come to them with hearts that need to be submitted to hear, to listen, to learn, and to receive what you say. For you have the words of eternal life, Lord Jesus. Where else would we receive this kind of truth but from you, from your word? We submit ourselves to your authority and to your teaching, Lord Jesus. Amen. I've been saying for a few weeks now that there's grace and there's mercy and there's peace and mercy and peace are part of grace. And wonderful as mercy is the forgiveness of sins, being, being reconciled to God, being accepted by God. That is a wonderful thing and I actually had to back, take a back step and, and preach that rather than just sort of say it. Grace takes us further than even mercy does. We, you can read in Hebrews 4, 16, which I quoted earlier, that we may receive mercy and grace to help. Mercy receives us, accepts us, forgives us, cleanses us, but grace begins to help us. Begins to take us somewhere. Gives us some purpose, some momentum, some direction. Grace empowers us. Grace reigns. I preached that a few weeks ago. It changes and empowers us to live for the glory of God. So I'm going to read the second half of Romans 5 again, and I hope that by now these words may be beginning to ring with some familiarity to you. I'm diving into halfway through verse 16. Oh, sorry, no, 15 of Romans 5. I did Hebrews 4 already. If by the one man's trespass, that's Adam, the many, that's all humanity, died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. Notice the words there. The grace of God and the gift overflowing. Both of those overflowing. Because we'll come back to grace and gift further down. Since by the one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man. Notice the expression, death reigned. How much more? 
This is, whoa, 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 up there. How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. So also, through one righteous act, that is the act of Jesus, there is life-giving justification made available to everyone. Just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. I know those are rich statements, but I'm going to try and unpack them, and particularly verse 17 and 21 today. Here's the way one old commentary I looked at the other day, right, kind of paraphrases Romans 5:22. Hitherto, sin has sat enthroned in the kingdom of the dead. Its subjects have been sunk in moral and spiritual death. But this has been permitted only in order that the grace or goodwill of God might also set up its throne over a people fitted for its sway by the gift of righteousness and therefore destined not for death but for eternal life through the mediation of Jesus Messiah our Lord. Look at these parallel statements. 5 verse 17. Those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 21. Grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You notice they both contain the same four things. Grace, righteousness, life, and all through Jesus. They are parallel statements. And yet in both verses we read death reigned. Sin reigned through death. Shorthand, death reigned. But now grace reigns. But in verse 17, Paul could have written, life reigns, but he doesn't. He pushes it further. He says, we will reign in life. We have power to deal with life. He could have written, life reigns, but he didn't. He said, how much more will those who receive the overflow of the grace of God and the gift of righteousness reign, they will reign in life. Let me structure that this way, just turn it around a bit. Those who receive the overflow of grace and they receive the gift of righteousness will through the one man Jesus Christ reign in life. Those are the criteria. Let me just spell those out for you. The overflow of grace the overflow of grace. It's the language of Scripture. Abundance, riches. In Adam, we're all sinners. We're all, we all fall short of the glory of God. We're all under God's just condemnation. But in Jesus, we receive, and this is the language Paul uses in his letters, the riches, the overflow, the abundance of his grace and the gift of righteousness. Now, when you hear the words abundance and riches, please don't be misled. Please don't be distracted. When the Bible speaks of the riches of God's grace and glory and wisdom, it has nothing to do with pounds, dollars, euros, and possessions. 
It's talking about the overflow of God's lavish grace towards us. His wisdom, his love, his power flowing to us and working in us. It's himself. It's not some measly little gift of a few quid. It's God dealing with us from his own resources, his own heart, his own power, his own wisdom. God does not just issue grace in small parcels or installments. There's enough for you. Remember one saying that when he was growing up, he hated it when it came to Sunday lunchtime because his dad always said, as he was carving the meat, is that enough for you? Meaning I'm not going to give you any more. <laughs> and so if you went to his house, he, always, he kept loading him to bring, whoa, stop, stop, because he, he was still remembering that kind of, kind of mean kind of attitude, you know? Which may have been because of, you know, that his parents grew up through the rationing and Second World War and so on. You, you know. God does not measure out. Now that's enough. Off you go. He lavishes his grace. There is overflow. There is abundance. There is riches. Because it, it, God is full and out of his fullness he just pours it out. And he is not diminished when he does so. There isn't less available when he's lavished his grace upon you or I. It's still all available. He doesn't diminish him one bit. I'm getting excited here. So it says in John 1 about the Lord Jesus, of his abundance, of his riches, of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. It doesn't stop, doesn't need to stop. There's no limit to it, there's no end to it because God is limitless, infinite. It's the overflow of his grace. We receive not a little dollop, not a teaspoonful. We receive the overflow of his grace. Now, I know there's songs and things that talk about I'm living in the overflow. I'm not sure what they mean by that, but I know what I mean by that. It's the overflow of God's own good nature, his own greatness, his own power, his own wisdom into you and I over our lives and into us. It's not just blessing that happens out there, it's blessing that comes through here. It's rooted through us. It touches us and changes us. Second one is the gift of righteousness. You see, in Jesus we stand accepted by God. We have a new relationship with him. We're called righteous. We have a standing. No one can, the devil will criticize it and accuse us but we have that standing. We are called the righteous ones. We're called saints, holy ones, and we're given a new life. Grace makes us righteous, gives us right standing. Right standing then leads to right behavior. Grace teaches us and empowers us to live righteously in faith and obedience towards Christ and prepares us for eternal glory. Yet all of that righteousness, even when we are living out the righteousness is still unearned, unmerited. Yes. Yes. Because it's of his grace. Yeah. We're not adding to our credit. It was all credited to us. We are living towards the measure that's already been measured to us. The righteousness of Jesus. By the grace of God, right relationship leads to right behavior. So that a person who once didn't care one bit whether God was pleased or displeased with their behavior, is now led and taught and empowered by the grace of God and through the Holy Spirit to actually desire and seek 
to do the will of God with joy. The gift of righteousness produces the fruit of righteousness, which leads to eternal life. So for a Christian to claim they have faith but live an unchanged life is a real problem. So the old Puritan John Owen said, if the grace of God doesn't change you, then I don't know what it does. It changes us. It's new life, for goodness sake. Then the third thing is this reign of grace, which is really the same as saying the reign of Christ, the reign of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Yeah, of what? Of whom? Yeah. We live under the reign of the grace of God. Grace reigns through righteousness. This is kingly language, you know? Uh, we have governments that govern, but they don't reign. And we have a queen who reigns, but she doesn't really have the authority to reign like old-fashioned kings did. We're talking about kings who reign, who when they say something, people have to go make it happen. Their word is law. Grace reigns through righteousness, through the one man, Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's this reigning language here. Grace reigns over us, which is another way of saying Jesus is our Lord and Master. And it does so through righteousness, through our working out this life that pleases God. The maintaining of right relationship with him through faith and obedience. And the outcome of living this new life is eternal life. Life of God in us, with us now, and the same life for eternity. And it's all through Jesus Christ, our Lord, all through him. We don't just receive this overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness. We live as Christians under the authority, the rule of grace, which both teaches us and equips us. That's another way of saying we're led and empowered by the Lord Jesus or by the Holy Spirit. And let me just give you a little thought there again on the Holy Spirit. He's called in one scripture at least, the Lord, the Spirit. The Lord, the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is no less God than God the Father is God or Jesus is God. He's no less the Lord than God the Father or the Lord Jesus. He's the Lord, the Spirit. Again, let's be careful of our language. And a lot of charismatics do go there. Of language that belittles the Holy Spirit, that makes him a something rather than a huge someone. Grace reigns over us and in us and through us. The Lord Jesus reigns over us and in us and through us. This is kingdom language, folks. The kingdom of God comes. You are now in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is at work in you. And the kingdom of God works through you to impact others around you. That's the reign that is over us of grace, of the Lord Jesus, of the Lord of the Spirit. That reign kingdom of God. Paul says the kingdom of God isn't whether you eat this or drink that. or whatever. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Notice what the first thing he says? Righteousness. This way of life. This new way of life that pleases the Lord God. Not because you're pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. You're being equipped by the grace of God to do it. Grace reigns in life and through life. Over us. In us. Through us. Some people want to know about the over us, but they don't want to know about the through us. But life's got to change. They want to go to heaven when they die, but they don't want to live for heaven now. Yeah. 
When Jesus reigns through grace in our life, we reign in life through Jesus. The two are connected together completely. As he reigns graciously, equipping us, empowering us, directing us, teaching us through the Holy Spirit, we get to reign in life. We get to king it a bit, but be careful about your attitude about that. Now, let me talk a bit about authority, because it's better to understand the power or authority of God as something that reigns over us rather than a force or an energy. I know people, you know, sometimes, you know, charismatic channel TVs, feel the power, yeah, there you go. Listen, there are moments, I'm not belittling that encounter with God, but in those moments where I may be impacted by a sense of energy or force, I may, my breath may be taken away. I may fall to the floor. That is only a symbol, an impact of the authority of God. He doesn't need to do that. He can say a word and it's got to happen because he's absolute sovereign king. Power in the Bible language is not about energy, about electricity, about force. It's about authority. You've only got to say it and it's got to happen. That is absolute, total authority. And what does Jesus say? All authority, it's the same word, it's the same word as power. All power, all authority in heaven and on earth is given unto me. There's not much left, is there? This is, then you go. Because why? I am with you. In other words, my authority rests upon you to go and do what I give you to do. So, let's understand authority. Whoa, there you go, big word. I want to take you back to Matthew and to Luke where a centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant. Roman centurion, Gentile, boss of, you know, dozens and dozens of soldiers. They, these are the guys that nail you up on crosses. I mean, this, this is serious business. This centurion sent to Jesus and said, would you please heal my servant? When Jesus begins to go towards the man's house, he he sent a message, or one version says he sent a message once, once as he came himself. He said, you don't need to come to my house. You don't need to come to my house. These were his words. I, too, am a man under authority. I have soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does that. And therefore, he said to Jesus, you only need to say the word, and my servant will be healed. When Jesus heard that from the centurion, do you know what Jesus said? I haven't found that kind of faith in anybody, not any Jewish person, in all Israel. No Jewish person has demonstrated the level of faith that this man had. Now, listen to that for a moment. That man made a comparison between himself and Jesus. I mean, you know, what what on earth are you doing? I, too, am a man under authority, and these men have to do exactly what I tell them. But the reason they have to obey me is because I have to obey them. The Roman emperor, the Roman senate, the Roman empire. The Roman empire had placed him there and given him authority to do what needed doing. And that man, that Gentile Roman soldier, a man of new violence, new you know, suffering, created suffering, looked at Jesus and said, that's a man under authority. He does whatever God tells him to do, does whatever God shows him to do, and if he, 
you know, understanding he's under authority. So, you know, this is, if he's doing it, God's doing it. If he will just issue the word of command, my servant will be healed. The man went, look at that faith. The man understood authority. And Jesus called that understanding faith. Faith. We reign in life when Jesus reigns over our life. In the same way that the centurion had authority delegated to him in Judea to run that troop of soldiers and to exercise the law of the Roman law and to enforce it. Because he was a man not with authority, that's not the word he used, under authority. Authority is about who you are under, not how big you are. And we reign in life when Jesus reigns us, when we are submitted to him. Let me give you another scripture to, to affirm this to you. I try not to be so excited, I'm losing my voice. <laughs> James 4, verse 6 to 7, starts in this way. But he gives greater grace. You've got to read the rest of the context. I figure it out. He gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's why we need to approach this subject carefully. Because if we think we can be, 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 be high and mighty and big it up over people, because you know, God says we reign in life. Mm, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. It doesn't say get angry with the devil, call him names, and, 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 you know, and, and have a good rant. In fact, both Jude and Peter tell us we shouldn't rant and re revile like the devil. Praying is not about how much you can tick the devil off, all right? You don't do that. It doesn't say that in Scripture. It says when you submit to God, you're submitting under authority, you can then, with authority, say, devil, go away. I'm not having that. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why? Because you are a person under authority. You, you know, like the Old Testament prophets. Yahweh, whose I am and who I serve. So I'm standing here because I stand before Yahweh. I'm talking to you, king of Israel, because I stand before Yahweh. The bigger king told me to tell this king something. Whether Elijah or Elisha or whatever, they were people under authority of the Lord, and therefore they could be they could go with serious messages of challenge and judgment even, because they were under authority. When we're submitted to God, when grace reigns over us, in us and through us, we have authority to resist, to overcome. We don't have to name it, claim it, or take it, the authority. It used to be when I was a, quite a bit younger, people would, we claim this authority, we take authority over this. And I thought, well, you don't need to take authority. You either have it or you haven't. Yeah. If you don't know you've got authority, you can pray first. You know, Jesus said, you know, the disciples couldn't cast out a demon. Uh, why couldn't we cast out? It doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. If we don't find that God is equipping us 
to do something. We need to go and pray, why is that not the case, and ask him for more help. Maybe there's something that, that needs to change. Maybe there's something that's, that's a hindrance. Or that, that we need some revelation about something. Do you understand? But you, you, can, you can shout all day, I take authority, I take authority. But if you haven't had it, if it's not deposited with you, and that's rooted in that you are under the authority of Christ, whose I am and whom I serve. When you know who before whom you stand, you can deliver his messages with authority. So let's put this together. By the supply of God's grace, as we live under the reign of grace of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, in him and through him, we reign over sin and Satan and death and life. Ready for some headlines? Sin. If we carried on reading through Romans and got into chapter 6, verse 14, we'd find this. Sin will not reign, rule over you. Because what? Because you're going to be really assertive and fight your way through life. It doesn't say that. It says because you're not under law, you're under grace. It's about who you're under. You're not under that dominion. You're not under that kingdom. You don't live under that authority anymore. You live under the authority of grace, which there is, of course, also a way of saying of the Lord Jesus and of the work of the Holy Spirit as well. You don't live like that because you're not under that. That's the argument. He says it other ways in Romans 6 and 7 and 8 as well. But just there, the argument is you're no longer in that kingdom. You're no longer under that authority. You're under the authority now of grace. Kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Then, again, we are no longer under the authority of the accuser, of Satan. I, I tried to get the word Satan up there, but, but you, you wouldn't want to see the images I looked at. I mean, no. So I thought that word will do. Our enemy. Our adversary. We just read it in James 4, verse 6 and 7. It doesn't say, get stroppy and shout at the devil. It just says, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's an issue of authority. It's also an issue of truth, but we'll come to that when we get into Ephesians again. It's an issue of truth, which is also of authority. Here's another scripture, 1 Peter 5, verse 8 to 9. Be serious. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for everyone he can devour. And if that makes you be, feel a little whimsy, a little, oh dear, Resist him. Be firm in the faith. Stand on truth. Stand under the authority of Christ. Knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Even if you're going through a really hard time and he's, 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 he's having a really good go, bad go at you, I shouldn't say good go at you. Resist him and stand firm in the faith. That's the devil. We'll come to the subject of our warfare as Christians in a few weeks' time when we get into Ephesians 6. But our warfare is not an issue of aggression, it's an issue of authority. And then, of course, death. I'm not going to talk much about that. What happens when a Christian dies? I'm not talking about breathing patterns and whatever else. No. When a Christian dies, they are with the Lord. Do you understand that? Do you rejoice in that? They're then with him. 
in his presence, waiting the last day, resurrection day, when they, together with all God's children, will inherit his eternal kingdom. In glorified, renewed human beings and bodies. So for a Christian, death has, to quote the scripture, no sting, no victory. It may separate us from our loved ones, but not from the Lord. It cannot separate us from the love of God. It cannot separate us from eternal life. So Jesus goes so far as to say it this way. He who lives and believes in me will never die. Not in the sense that other people do. Yeah? All right. Enough of that. But interestingly, the verse we're looking at today doesn't, you know, sin and Satan and death are included. But the thing it mentions particularly is life. We reign in Life. Life includes dealing with sin and Satan and death, but life itself is a struggle, a fight for faith. We're equipped by the grace of God to reign in life, to get on with life now. Life here now is not perfect, is it? It's messy. It has hardship. It has confusing things. It brings trials. This side of the last day, we still live with the law of sin and death at work around us. In this world, Jesus said, we will have trouble. But don't be afraid, he's overcome the world. In this world, we walk as Christians a narrow, difficult path, not a broad, easy one. You know, and I feel, sometimes I feel like saying to people, you thought this was easy? No. I remember it was... Uh, President Kennedy said, we're going to do the difficult thing. And all he was talking about was putting the man on the moon. You know, I thought, there's many, lots of things you could have done better than that for humanity. Thank you very much. We're going to, we choose to do the difficult thing. No, Christians, we're called to do the difficult thing. Not the easy thing. We're not taking the easy way through life. We're following the difficult route, which can only be lived by the help of God, the grace of God. But through the supply of God's grace, we reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Lloyd-Jones in his Ephesians commentary said this, Indeed, we are no longer under the tyranny of life itself. Because life can feel oppressive with its difficulties and its challenges. A lot of people kind of feel under things. You know, they, 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 their view of life is, uh, I, I'm, 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 it's difficult, it's complicated. It is. But, Scripture here doesn't say, we'll escape from life. It says, reign in life. And lots of people, in all sorts of ways, are trying to escape from real life. Some people spend their time playing computer games to avoid real life. Some people use social media nonstop and spend more time in digital life than in real life. Some people use alcohol or drugs to dull and deafen real life, to avoid dealing with the real stuff. And some people do church or religious TV to escape real life. I want to warn you this morning not to retreat from real life to some fantasy realm of faith. Oh, it's not happening, it's not happening, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I call that fake faith. Real faith deals with real life. And God's grace will enable us to endure and overcome all the trials and troubles of life. I despair of that kind of fake faith that assumes the answer to everything is to make a decree or a declaration, IJN, you know, which is in Jesus' name. People have been led to think by some preachers and teachers that the way to deal with life is to just to say the opposite. 
until it happens. That way of thinking comes from uh, a whole new thought movement of the early 20th century, including a book by Norman Vincent Peale called The Power of Positive Thinking. And those trends were nothing to do with Christianity. They were just, they were just philosophy. But that way of thinking deeply infects a lot of the modern church and the word of faith movement. That way of thinking, I warn you, is about magic, not about faith. It's about the power of words. But the Bible talks about Christians walking and working through every bit of real life under the grace of God, with his help, with his sustaining presence. Dealing with the real stuff. Abraham, you're going to have a child. I'm an old man. Excuse me, ladies and gents, but I'm past it. And my poor old wife, she's past it too. Abraham dealt with the reality, but because God had told him, he chose to trust God, his vigor was renewed. And his wife conceived. But he dealt with the reality. He didn't deny the reality. He, by the grace of God, found help from God to deal with the reality. We deal with real life, with real faith. If I've got one headline for you today, it's that one. We're called as Christians to deal with real life, with real faith. And like Angie was saying earlier, I couldn't do it. She knew, you know, I'm not up to this. But God helped her. Deal with real life, with real faith. Putting your hand in the hand of God. Asking for his help. Sustaining, supplying grace. And life and love are more than words. And faith is more than words. It's actions. It's deeds. We reign in life when Christ reigns over us, when grace rules us, when we're submitted to the Lord and living by self. And when grace reigns over us, when we by the Spirit are killing sin, resisting Satan, not allowing the trials of life to draw us away from the love of God, we are then reigning through life in Jesus. Those who refuse to deny God's goodness, even in the darkest trials, like Job, for instance. Some of us are plodding through Job right now. Are reigning in life by the grace of God. And then I think of martyrs, those who choose to suffer imprisonment, torture, and even death, rather than deny Christ Jesus. They're reigning in life in those moments before they're received into God's presence. Paul, in writing to the Romans, of course, goes further. And if you go down, as I'll read it to you in a moment, about the grace of God. In chapter 8, we come to this. I'm not going to put it all on the screen. You can follow me. This whole great treatise on grace, which isn't even finished at the end of chapter 8. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even raised, who is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it is written, because of you, we're being put to death all day long. We're counted like sheep to be killed. No, in all these things. Notice that phrase. It's not escaping from all these things. 
when they happen, in all these things, we are more than victorious, King James, more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither, not even, I'm quoting from the King James from memory, let me read it. For I'm persuaded that not even death or life, life, why do you mention that? Because life is not easy. Neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height, depth, any other created thing will have the power, the authority to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. More than victorious, more than conquerors. Even if at that time we are being put to affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or death. It doesn't say we avoid all these things. It says we rule through them. God brings us through them by his grace. We overcome them through him who loved us. And I've said it so many times. Some of you must be thinking, I know what's coming next. You only are an overcomer when you overcome. When by the grace of God you endure it. And by his kindness you come through it. It's a paradox, isn't it? That's what reigning in life through Jesus is. The world can take everything from us, but they can't take away who we are and what we have in Jesus. Whatever our circumstances, we're not victims, but victors when we are submitted to Christ. We reign because he reigns. We reign through life because he reigns over our life. It's an issue of authority, folks. Whose you are and whom you serve. Those who receive the overflow of grace and receive the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So to finish and then we'll break bread. Be sure that you are receiving, have received and are receiving the overflow and riches of the grace of God. Let your heart be nourished by his grace. Have a grace-filled view of life. You see, you will run out of strength. You will run out of patience. You will run out of resources of every kind. But God's grace can always supply you with more than you need. When we measure ourselves, we will fail. When we look to infinite grace, we will succeed. It's not about what's in you. It's about the measure that's in him. Be sure that you've received and live and walk in the unearned, unmerited gift of righteousness. You're called righteous simply because Christ has paid for it. He's put his name to you. You're credited with his righteousness, with his standing with the Father, with his acceptance with the Father, with all of his great and good deeds. They're credited to your account. His obedience, his love for the Father are credited to your account. So what's for you to do now? Learn to live up to that measure, bit by bit, day by day, step by step. Walking in the righteousness which is already gifted to you because of Jesus. And go and, and be sure you live in submission to the Lord Jesus. You're under his grace, you're under his authority. Say to yourself, I too am a person under authority. Which means today when things challenge me, I'm his And my help will come from him. Yeah. And go and deal with real life, with real faith that asks and receives the help of God again and again and again. 
I, I wrote something, I didn't put it in the notes, but you know, you're not saved in a moment, you're, saved, you're being saved moment by moment. Yes. You're not just saved on one day, you're saved every day. Yes. The help and the grace of God is available to us every step of life. Yes. Go and live real life with real faith that asks and receives from him, his authority, his wisdom, his grace, that will help you to deal with every challenge, every trial, every joy too. Every bit of life. Jesus is the Lord of life. Every single minute of it. Real life and real faith. Reigning in life by the grace of God through righteousness, through Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. You say such tremendous things over us and about us, Lord. We acknowledge before you that every issue we face is a truth issue because if we know the truth and believe the truth, the truth will set us free. Amen. We'll be equipped to deal with it. And so we come and we search again and again in the Scriptures to find your grace, your word of grace that strengthens us, that's able to give us an inheritance amongst those who are made mature. We thank you, you speak grace to us. You speak help to us. It's not about the words that are in our mouth, it's the words that come from your mouth. They are giving life to us. We don't live by bread alone, or even by roast meat or noodles for lunch today. We live by every word that proceeds out of your mouth and that feeds us with your grace, equips us for life. We thank you, We've, we already have in you, everything we need for life and godliness. They're all promised to us in your word. Make us treasure seekers who hunt out your promises that sustain us through every part of life we pray. Amen. 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 Would four people come and help us, please? Is, is the small, you got them? Is the small dish gluten-free? Is that one, the small dish? Yes, thank you, Angie.